Good morning. Well, as you guys can see, Daniel and Stephanie are not here this morning. Um, nice little surprise. My favorite part about this whole thing is that this week, Daniel just sent us a text. And he said, hey, you guys, I'm planning on being out for a couple weeks when the baby's born. So let's get some days in order. March 11th and March 18th. And so I, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we missed by a little ways. Um, but that's okay. So um, then the best part was is our pinch hitter is Nathan, right? And guess what Nathan had to do today? Work. Work, yeah. So, <laughs> so you guys are stuck with me today. Um, so I, 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 I'll be honest with you guys. About 8 o'clock last night is when we decided that I had to do this. And so uh, Daniel had prepared his passage in Ephesians, and we said, what should we do? Should I get up there and just read what you have? Because that sounds kind of lame, but... Um, and he was like, no, you can go home and study it. And I said, okay, sounds good. And then as he started talking through it, he was so passionate about it that he was like, I really want to give this sermon next week. So he's like, whether baby comes or not next week, I will be here and I will preach that. After that though, I'm going to take two weeks off. And we said, okay, <laughs> that, <laughs> that sounds like a deal. So he said, okay, so what are we going to do tomorrow? And I said, well, uh, comfortability wise, we could play 11 songs and I'd be good with that. And, uh, <laughs> And, uh, but I thought we might get a little tired of that. So there was uh, something that's kind of been on my heart recently, and I thought it fits so perfectly, because as we started the book of Ephesians, right, we're learning about this place um, that was like a major hub, and, and Daniel described it as not unlike the United States, right? He said that there was a lot of stuff going on there. There was a lot of trade, a lot of commerce, a lot of learning, and also a lot of people who believed in a lot of different religions, um, there was pagan worship was very like rampant there in um, Ephesus. And so what I thought is I said, let's stay in Ephesus. Let's stay there. So let's get another picture of some other things that were happening in Ephesus that can be a guide for us as a church body. So as we, as we heard the passage being read in Acts, I just want to give us a little bit of background of what's going on here. So many of you guys know the book of Acts uh, written... Uh, uh, Paul's accounts written through Luke, right? So Luke is kind of the guy penning all of this. And he, he does a great job of talking about the apostles and, and focusing a lot on Paul's ministry. So we have here um, Paul, if you go back to the beginning of verse uh, or chapter 18, you have Paul who uh, comes to all these different towns. It kind of explains his travels, where he's going. And one of the places that he stops um, is in... Uh, Corinth. And when he was in Corinth, he found a Jew named uh, Aquila. And we know that together that's Priscilla and Aquila, right? Husband and wife. And, and uh, so what we, what we know then is that Paul spent a lot of time with these two people, right? He lived with them. Um, he shared all of his teachings with them. So they were very like astute in Paul's teachings in the way of Christ. Now, What's important for us to understand here is like that gives a little context as to why Priscilla and Aquila get talked about in this passage and why it's so important that we understand that. So first thing, let's get a little background uh, for Apollos. So it says um, in verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. 
he was an eloquent man and competent in scriptures. So what is this talking about? Why is this doing? Well, we know in a lot of scriptures, the reason that they give you all this foreknowledge is to give credentials, right? Here's why this person's important. Here's why this person is um, somebody that you can listen to, reputable. So in here, what would this have meant? Well, Alexandria, does anybody know where Alexandria is? Thank you. Okay, good, because I didn't know. No, I'm just kidding. I did. I looked it up, I promise. <laughs> so where it was, was it was actually like the intellectual hub of Egypt. So like if you were like one of the great minds of your time in Egypt, you were there, okay? So you were able to do a lot of studying and a lot of like gaining of knowledge. So you now understand that you have a man who would have been very well-versed, very well-knowledgeable, had a lot of things at his uh, fingertips to learn, right? And so we understand that he's coming in with a lot of background knowledge, and we understand that he was a Jew. So he not only would have been like, like well-versed in like the things of this world that we try to think of, but he would have been well-versed in the Jewish faith. So he would have known the law really well. He would have been able to probably quote a lot of it to you. So he knew what was up, right? So we, we have this kind of background of this. So he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He thought he knew only, or though he knew only the baptism of John. So what we have here is we have a guy who has learned the Jewish faith, right? So he has this background knowledge of the Jewish faith, the Mosaic law, all that kind of stuff. Then we find out now that he has the teachings of John the Baptist. Okay, so who is John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was the guy that the Old Testament's predicted would come and prepare the way for the Lord, right? He was going to come and tell people to repent, right? That was kind of his job. So he was going to baptize people to say, return to the Lord because... The Messiah is coming. So it's time to reevaluate the things you are doing in the law, the things that you are like making um, moralistic, the, the rites of passage kind of that the, that the Jewish faith had. And it says, just return to faith in Christ. So we have a man who hears this preaching from John or the teachings of John, and he falls in love with them, right? And we know that he falls in love with them because of what it says in here, right? That he fervently went out like preaching this, right? And so we have this understanding now that he, uh, he was missing part of the picture though, right? He was missing part of the picture. And that part of the picture was the teachings of Jesus, right? So he was right up to a certain point, correct? Are we all, am I, am I clear here? Okay. I'm just going to ask you guys, like, I love affirmation. It doesn't have to be positive, Carrie. It can be negative. So if you want to give me the, you're, on, you're off track, dude. Like, I'm totally cool with that too. But affirmation helps me because it knows that you guys are, it helps me understand you guys are listening. So um, I learned that because I have a lot of students who stare at me. Dar yeah, Darius can probably tell you the same thing too. Like, are you guys here or are you guys not here, right? So that'll help me. So this brings me to my first point though. Okay, so this is point number one that I want to make on this passage. And hopefully you guys know this passage is going to go really quickly because I only got three points. So uh, <laughs> we made a joke earlier. Sorry, I'm going to go off topic here a little bit. So uh, many of you guys know my first sermon was a few weeks ago, and I went long. I went like over an hour. And then Daniel blew me out of the water last week. Do you guys know that? One hour and 21 minutes. 
So we figured Daniel just does not want me to have any records. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go for the shortest sermon today, and then maybe next week he's going to try and beat that record, and we're going to get out of here really early. No, I'm just kidding. He's got a lot prepared for next week, so we're good. (laughs) So point one, we have no excuse for not sharing the gospel. Many of us, as we go along in our Christian faith, or as we become new believers, or even as seasoned believers, people who have had faith in Christ for a long time, that Christ has called us out of our sin, out of darkness, to be with him, we find a lot of excuses for not sharing the gospel. And one of the main excuses is that we feel uncomfortable a lot of times because we feel like we don't know enough to share with people. Right? Any of you, if you've ever tried to teach somebody something, if you don't know what you're teaching, it's really hard, right? It's really hard to do. And so, what we understand though is that with the gospel, if God has captured your heart and called you to Him, you know enough. And that's what I love about Apollos. Apollos didn't go timidly out preaching what he knew, right? He went out. And it says that he went out and he just did it. He didn't care. He's like, I'm going to go out there and preach what I know, right? And the thing was, is was he a little off? Yeah. But was he like heading in the right direction? Absolutely. There was no inaccuracy in what he was preaching. So I just want to be clear on that though too, right? If we're going out spreading like false gospel and you're like, well, Will said it was okay though because I just, I don't know my Bible and so I'm just going to preach whatever. That's not quite what I'm saying here. I'm getting at the point that if we understand the foundations of Christianity, of what it means to be called by Christ to follow after him, we should have a basic understanding of what the gospel truly is and a way to be able to communicate that with people. And what this shows us is that we have no excuse for not sharing the gospel. So I just want us to put that into our application, right? As we talk to people in our day-to-day, as we start to interact with people in our workplace, our friends, any of those kind of opportunities, we can never shy away from wanting to share the gospel. So then let's go on, right? So we have, we have Apollos, right? Um, Then it says he uh, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Point two comes out of this passage. So what actually happens here? So as many of you guys know, the synagogue would have been like a major hub of learning for the Jewish faith. Okay, so everybody would have come here. There would have been scholars there. There would have been rabbis there. There would have been people studying that would have been here. It would have been like a school setting, right? It'd be like going to a school and everybody would be there. And here comes Apollos, this random dude from Egypt, right? Comes up there and just starts laying it out there. And then you have Priscilla and Aquila. And what did we say we learned about Priscilla and Aquila? Who'd they study under? Paul, Paul, right? This great man, Paul. They studied under him. They lived with him. They learned with him, right? They hear this teaching of Apollos, and they realize that something's not quite right. It's incomplete. They don't... Notice it doesn't say that they were upset, they were angry, nothing like that. They were just, they saw that it was incomplete. And it says they took him aside. Now, what does that really mean? What that means is that they would have pulled him aside privately 
and not just like off to the side of like the synagogue, like down in this room down here and been like, okay, hold on just a second. What this is actually saying and what the actual language is talking about is like they would have like taken him back to their place and they would have like lived, they would have asked him to stay with them and he would have lived with them and they taught him. They taught him the true way, which we know is Jesus Christ, right? So they would have lived, so he would have been embraced by them, almost like adopted by them, brought them in, and he studied under them. So we get my second, play, my second point is from this. We are all called to be disciples and to be discipled. So let's go, let's, let's see where I get this from. So there's two pieces here. You have Apollos. Here is a guy who probably really knows his stuff, right? He really knows his stuff. Now, I know all of you guys have some area in your life that you probably know really well, right? If somebody was to come and talk to you about that area of your life, the first thing you would probably do is try to defend what you know, right? Well, I'm actually, hey, this is kind of my field. I'm good at this. I I can handle this, right? Right? Just like... Darius probably doesn't like language arts teachers coming in and telling him how to teach math, right? I pick on language arts teachers because they're the worst. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, so they're crazy. Anybody who likes to grade papers for a living is crazy. So what we understand is that Paul, or excuse me, so we have Apollos, and he comes in, he's very knowledgeable, he's very learned, right? He knows his stuff. Yet when Priscilla and Aquila pull him to the side, what is he willing to do? Listen. He's willing to listen. And understand that this is not a feat by Apollos alone. It's not Apollos' decision to say, okay, that's good. I'll listen. I guess I can humble myself enough to do that. What do we know is truly happening here? He is fully focused on who God is. And he is allowing God and God is moving in him to change his heart for understanding of the true way, which is Jesus Christ. Apollos is allowing himself to be discipled. He wants to be discipled. He is hungry for the knowledge of Christ and is willing to listen to people who are, um, dare I say, older than he was, more wise than he was. And he put himself under their authority so that he could learn. So my charge to you is, do you have somebody in your life that's doing that for you? Do you have somebody who's wiser, who's more knowledgeable, who can pour into you so that as you go to live out the first piece, not having an excuse for sharing the gospel, somebody who can pour into you so that those excuses get even smaller and smaller, right? And then the other piece, you have Priscilla and Aquila the other side of it, that we are all called to be disciples. Priscilla and Aquila could have very easily done what? Walked away and been like, that guy is crazy and he's not teaching the full message, right? They could have just walked away from it and said like, this is not our business. We're going to let him go. But they saw somebody who was passionate about God and they went to him and they invested in him. They put time. They put effort. They opened up their home. My question is, how many of us are doing that? 
How many of us are bringing people into our house? How many of us are taking the time out of our schedule, our busy schedule, because I'm sure Priscilla and Aquila were pretty busy, to open up our doors to let people come in so that we can disciple them, teach them the ways of Christ. There are a lot of people out there that don't know Christ. So even if you have the basic, most simple understanding of who Jesus is, there's somebody out there who has even less that you can be discipling. So again, we don't have an excuse for that either, right? And then this last piece. And when he wished to across to Acadia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him, and he arrived. And he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So another thing that we have to understand here is that we need to know our scriptures, right? Apollos gives us a way to refute anything, right? It shows us there. Know your scriptures. He had a great understanding of them and then got even better at them, right? When he studied with Priscilla and Aquila to be able to apply what he knew to the Messiah who had already come in the form of Jesus. So knowing your scriptures is another point. I'm adding a fourth one. That was my, that was my added one. So. so what I would really like to get at, I told you guys I was going to keep it short today. So the, the last point that I have that I want us to understand is I think one of our biggest problems here um, in the church in America. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to try to explain it afterwards, um, but I think that this is a real problem. Living on mission is not just for paid staff. Some of you guys are going to go, like, what, what does that have to do with what you talked about? The best part about this entire story for me, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos were not paid missionaries like Paul was. They were lay people, which means common people like you guys, like me. Now, if you put that all into context, what happened? Apollos went out on his own because he was so on fire with who Jesus or who with who uh, God was that he wanted to learn everything he could and he wanted to spread that knowledge that he just went out on his own and started doing it made a trip to Ephesus to make it happen nobody was funding him nobody nobody was paying him he went and did that on his own what do we know about Priscilla and Aquila Priscilla and Aquila were probably like we were they probably had day jobs they're probably doing what they needed to do to make ends meet. And then what were they probably doing? They were probably giving so that Paul could go do what he was supposed to do. Because we know that that's how the church worked back then, right? You'd go around and Paul was supported by the church, the people who were funding him to be able to send him out to keep taking the gospel to the reaches, right? Beyond where it had been to Asia Minor and out, right? So Priscilla and Aquila, as we go back and look at that, where they could have just walked away from the situation with, with Apollo speaking in there, right? They took it upon themselves as common, everyday people to pour into Apollos to be able to send him out to where he needed to go, to send him to brother, the brothers, which we know are the other apostles, right? And the other people of the church to like embrace him because he wants to spread the gospel. And they did it all without funding, all without anything. And what gets to me is who he becomes. Now, 
I don't know if many of you guys know Apollos, but Paul starts to mention him, right, throughout the scriptures. He gets mentioned in Galatians, right, as like one of the great teachers. I don't know if you guys remember that when Paul's like angry at the church in Galatia about like you guys are arguing over whether I'm better or whether Paul or Peter's better or whether Apollos is better, right? And it's like, whoa, he gets name dropped there. We know that he spent Paul or that uh, um, Apollos spent time with Paul in Corinth. So he got to spend time with him, hang out with him, learn from Paul. And then the fact, or one of the other things too, is some people, a lot of scholars believe that Apollos actually wrote the book of Hebrews as well. Now, I don't, nobody knows it for sure, but the fact that the dude can even be like mentioned as maybe one of the writers tells you how influential he became. And he started it all as a person who was not paid by the church, just on fire for God. And so I have this, this thought that's kind of come in, and Daniel and I have talked about this a lot. And we always, we've used it to like reference a couple different things, but I think it really fits in this place. And it, it's this idea that if you were to become, I want you guys to just think for a second, if you were to become a missionary today, right? You decided I'm gonna be a missionary. If you were to become a missionary or maybe get hired on staff at a church or anything like that, would your life look different? Because if the answer is yes, you're doing it wrong. I can't sugarcoat that. I want to, I want to try and make that softer. But if your life would look drastically different because you were different because you were on staff at a church or because you decided to become a vocational missionary, you're doing it wrong. These are the things that we are called to do daily. We are called to live on mission. We shouldn't need a paycheck for that. Many of you guys know overseas missionaries, they work jobs. They get supported, sure, through some organizations, which is great, and which is why we try to help them. Um, here at the Mountain Church, we try to send some money out to vocational missionaries. But understanding that a lot of them work jobs. And then what do they do after their job? They witness to the people. Why are we different? We have neighborhoods. We have people in our circles. We come across people daily. Yet we think that missions is just for people who go overseas and get paid for it. Or we tend to think the same about pastors, right? We've heard about this a lot. Tim Howe always gave great statistics on that. Many of you guys know Tim, who speaks here quite frequently. Uh, Daniel likes to refer to him as his boss, right? But we know that Tim has talked about here multiple times. Pastors, the paid staff, tends to do the bulk of the work. And the fact that we're okay with that, that should rattle us. Because really, if we understand what the, pa roles, the, pastor of the, or the role of the pastor should be, it's to equip us so that we can go do the work. That's why he's getting paid. Put some time in so that he can study, so that he can prepare us, so that you're ready to go out and do what you're supposed to do living on mission. So if you are thinking to yourself, well, if I was just paid, if I had a part-time job maybe doing that, then I would start doing it this way, I highly suggest you recheck what, is, what you are prioritizing in your life 
and look at Apollos, look at Priscilla and Aquila, and say, these great people in the Bible were doing it already. They showed us what it was like to be normal, everyday people living on fire for Christ. So again, we take from this passage, we don't have excuses for not sharing the gospel. We're all to be disciples and we are to be discipled, right? We have to know our scriptures. We have to be able to uh, become more knowledgeable, right? We have to be able to defend um, why we have faith in Christ. And lastly, that idea that living on mission is not just for paid staff, right? We all need to embrace that. And it's great that I get to say that when Daniel's not here because it's one thing for Daniel to tell us that, right? Because what do we get to say to Daniel? That's easy for you to say, right? You're paid staff. I don't know about you guys, but I, show of hands. How many of you guys are, 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 are paid staff here? Look around, look around. I'm keeping my hand down too because I'm not. Peter's not, right? Carrie's not. They're serving, right? They're doing stuff. They're back here helping out. A lot of you guys are doing great things, but I never want us to get complacent with where we're at, right? We should never say, well, Daniel talks about this a lot, right? That, that checklist, well, I'm doing just enough to get by, right? This is what you said I needed to do? No. Apollos gave up everything, right? Left his home, left where he knew he was from to fervently chase after teaching who Jesus is. So as we, uh, we kind of conclude today, we're going to spend some extra time in, in uh, song and, and worship this morning. And uh, what we're going to do is I just want to take some time to be reflective, um, for us to think about what it totally means to surrender our lives to Christ, knowing that this is who we are for the rest of our lives, right? We are going to probably, none of us are really going to become paid staff at a church. So how do we start changing our mentality? How do we start changing our uh, identity from saying, well, I am a, I work at so-and-so, and then I come home and I'm a parent, and then in my off time, I am a missionary for Christ, too. I am a missionary for Christ, and all of that other stuff just happens to fall into that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Father, we thank you so much for your patience. As we read your word, we get hit over the head multiple times with what you would ask and what you require of us. Yet I know for myself, Father, I, I ignore that so often. I don't offer up everything that I have to give to you. I don't make spreading your name the most important thing in my life. So Father, please forgive me for that. But I pray as a congregation that this congregation, Father, we've seen has grown closer after you, grown uh, in a desire to want to chase after you. But Father, do, I, I pray that we think just like Paul did, that we think of this as a race, Father, that we run till its completion. There's no off time, Father. It's not football. There's no off season. There's no breaks, 
Father, because if we know who you are and what you've done for us, then we know that our true rest lies in you. And Father, I pray that we never lose sight of that. We never get to a place where we feel comfortable and want to lay back and say, my job is done. It's time for somebody else to take over because we know that that's not what you required of us. You required it all. Father, I pray that as we move forward, that we continue to be a church that runs that race, that finishes that race, earnestly seeking after your heart. We love you and we thank you, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen.